chapter number 22, please, the 22nd chapter in the book of Genesis, and we are continuing our journey through the life of Abraham Uh, as a church family. We've been in Abraham's life trying to learn the lessons that we can from it uh, since the very beginning of this year, and so we'll continue our study through Abraham's life. We're in this 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis today, and I, um, I plan to read a significant portion of this chapter uh, so that you can sort of get an idea of exactly what's happening here, uh, because it truly is, the, in many respects, the ultimate moment of Abraham's life and of his journey. And so I want you to follow along with me as I read. I'll begin in verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse number 14 of Genesis chapter number 22. The Bible says there, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father... And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. The title of the message this morning comes from verse number 8, where Abraham said, My son, God will provide. God will provide himself a lamb for burnt offering. When I went off to Bible college as a young man, I did so with the understanding that by and large it would be my responsibility to pay for my own education. My parents uh, helped me some through college, but the bulk of my tuition and 
room and board would, would fall upon me to pay. That was my responsibility. It was my education that I was pursuing and for my career and whatever it was that the Lord had, had for me. And I, and I understood that because of that, because of the fact that that bill would come due every month or every semester, however it would have been paid in those days, I understood that I would need a job throughout my time in college in order to pay for my bills. And so I pursued a job, and I had a job every semester that I was there. Every, every year I had a job. Sometimes I was working more than one job, uh, but I had jobs that would enable me to be able to pay my, my bills. I soon, however, began to hear stories and testimonies of, uh, of people who in, were in college with me who would stand and they would give testimony to the fact that they had received maybe an unexpected check or <clears throat> a gift at just the right time in order to pay for their college education. And I would sit in chapel services or in classes or maybe even in church services and I would hear a student that I maybe was in my own dorm or someone that I was sitting in, in the same classrooms with and someone that I knew personally and they would tell about how they had gone to their mailbox and they had uh, taken the key and they'd open their mailbox and lo and behold there was a check with their name on it and in some cases it was for the exact amount of what they owed at that certain point in time. And I just have to tell you, I like the sound of that. I like the sound of that a whole lot. And I, um, I, began to, I began to sort of approach my mailbox a little differently after that. I, I sort of would go and my hands would tremble just a little bit. I wonder, I wonder if there's a check in there for me. I wonder if someone, if someone wrote, uh, wrote me a check that they didn't even know that I had a specific need. And I, and I can remember I would go and I would take my key and I would insert it into the, into the mailbox and I would open it and there would be no check. There, there, would be no, there would be no financial gift or assistance at just the right, at just the right time. And before long, I, I, I began to realize, I began to realize in my life that check wasn't coming. <laughs> It just wasn't, it just wasn't coming. And, um, and I, I sort of soon was sort of dealing with a little bit of a pity party. Well, that's not fair. Why do, why do these people get to tell really cool stories about going to the mailbox and opening it up and, and finding a check with their name on it written for almost the exact amount of what it is that they, that they needed to pay? Why do they get to have something special like that? And I don't get anything special like that. Why would God do something like this for others and not do something like this for me? And, and it, was, it was minimal, but I have to tell you that in some respects, uh, I, I sort of view that time as, as maybe a little bit of a small crisis of faith for me. God, are you, are you real? God, why are you doing this for others, but you've never done anything like this for me? This doesn't, this doesn't seem fair. Can I just... Can I just pause for a moment and just throw this in? It's not even in my notes. But can I just say that if you're looking for life to be fair, you're never going to discover life is fair. It's just not. I don't know where we got that idea. My son said something to me the other day. We were riding somewhere, and he wanted something. I told him he couldn't have it. He goes, that's not fair. I'm not going to tell you what I told him. I was trying to correct his attitude just a little bit, you know. But you know, I'm trying to get him to understand life is not always fair. It's not. But in my mind, back in those days, I felt like, you know, this doesn't seem right. Other people you're providing for, other people you're taking care of, but, but you're not doing anything like that for me. 
And it was a crisis of faith. And I began to ask this question, does God provide or not? He seems to be providing for these people, but he, but he hasn't, hasn't provided for me. And I was, I, was, I, was missing, I was missing some clues in life. I was missing some things that I needed to understand that God needed to show me. And, and one day, while in this period of searching and trying to make sense of things, I was, I was captivated, I was arrested, I was blown away with a, with a, with a, a specific thought that I had never, had never dawned on me before. And here was, the, here was the thought that God had provided for me. He had provided for me. But you just, you just told me, Pastor Pete, there was no check in your mailbox. You're right. There was, no, there was no check in my mailbox. That's correct. But that didn't mean that God hadn't still provided for me. Here, here, here's, here's what I came to discover. I, I, discovered, I discovered that he hadn't provided me with a random, unexpected check in the mail, but instead he had provided for me with a weekly expected check that came from my employer. Well, that was a, that was a great day when I realized, you know what? I don't have to worry about going to the mailbox and hoping that there's a check there. I get a check every week. Somebody is writing me a check every week in exchange for the work that I'm doing uh, on their behalf for them. And then it, and then it dawned on me that God, God provided me not just with a check every week, but God had provided me with a job to work, and he had provided me with the health and the mind to do the job, and he had provided me with a car, a vehicle, to get back and forth to my work, and he provided me with a steady income in exchange for the hours that I worked. And all along, listen, all along, I was uncertain, I was unsure sure whether or not God could provide, whether or not God would provide for me. And you know what? In spite of my doubts, in spite of my crisis of faith, God was providing for me every step of the way. Truly, truly, God will provide. He does provide. The 22nd chapter of Genesis is perhaps the greatest moment in Abraham's life. It might even be, it might even be the greatest moment in the Old Testament. The very account that we just read perhaps is the greatest moment in the Old Testament. A life, Abraham's, a life filled with so many other incredible moments and miracles, it might seem hard for us to clearly define just one as the greatest, but most Bible scholars agree that this moment, Genesis 22, verses 1 to 14, is the culmination, the zenith of Abraham's life of faith. Though Abraham is an Old Testament character, he rivals the New Testament personality in faith and obedience. In fact, this event given to us here is the clearest picture that I can find, the clearest picture I can find of Christ and the sacrifice that he will make on our behalf that we'll find anywhere in the Old Testament. In other words, what, what Jesus did for us, down to the exact location, you will not find, you will not find a clearer picture of the sacrifice of Christ in all of the Old Testament than what you find in Genesis chapter number 22. In our text, Abraham mirrors God the Father who is willing to sacrifice his son. And his son Isaac 
mirrors or represents Jesus Christ who is willing to be sacrificed if that is his father's will. At the end of this event, Abraham calls the name of the place where this saga unfolds, he calls it Jehovah Jireh, honoring God, meaning meaning this, in this mountain, God will provide. Little, little did Abraham know just how prophetic this utterance was. Perhaps you've come today wondering, can God provide for me? And maybe in some respects, you're in a little bit of a crisis of faith like I was in some, I don't know, 23, 24 years ago in which you were wondering, you know, this doesn't seem fair. Why do other people seem to get these blessings and I don't seem to get these blessings? Does God provide? Can God provide? And can I just pause for a moment and say this? If you are only interested in God providing things that will add maybe some momentary excitement or temporary joy to your life, you may discover some level of disappointment. Listen, God is not in the business of just, of just giving you a good little day every once in a while. That's not what God's about. That's not why God is, is, exists. That's not why he has created you so that he could give you a little toy to play with every once in a while. It's deeper than that. It's more significant than that, what God is wanting to do in your life. Somehow as human beings, we have successfully devalued what God provides for us. Today, most people are only interested in a God that provides a, a, a shiny new car for them or maybe a few hundred dollars for us to spend as we please or, or maybe I, I'm only interested in a God that can provide a bigger home for me and my family in a safer community. Listen, if you're only interested in a God that can provide things of a temporal nature, then the God of the Bible might disappoint you. However, however, if you are longing for something deeper, something richer, something fuller, something longer lasting. This text clearly reveals God can and God will provide. I think in some respects we've, we've been looking for God to provide the wrong things. We, we've been wanting him to provide the things that will please our flesh, the things that will make us happy, the things that will give us some momentary moments or, 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 or times of joy. I believe we discover in this text, we discover five key provisions from God for Abraham and for, and for all of us as men in this particular text. I want, you to, I want you to see them as we walk through this particular passage. And then at the end, I'll just give you three brief kind of summary statements and we'll be done. Number one, as I consider this story and this, and this saga, as it were, in Genesis 22, we find that God provided the Son. God provided the son. In verse number one, the Bible says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. As the chapter opens, Abraham's in a great place. I I mean, for for the first time in a while, his life seems to be in order. The turmoil that Hagar and Ishmael had brought to the home, by the way, a turmoil, a problem that he himself had created to begin with, but that turmoil is behind them because in Genesis 21, he sent them away and now they're living on their own and, and there's some sense of restored peace and order in his home, as it were. He no longer has two wives living in the same home. He no longer has, has two sons sort of vying for the attention of their father. Uh, he sent the one family away, and he's got his original family with, with them. 
waiting on God to fulfill his promise to them was behind them too. In other words, for 25 years, they had looked, they had longed for, they had wondered, they had waited, is God ever going to provide this son for us? And that that time is, is, is now in the rearview mirror as well. It was a quarter of a century between the promise that God had made and the fulfillment of that promise, but now that's behind them as they now have their own son to love on and to hold in their arms. There's peace and there's harmony in his home. And Abraham is now left to enjoy great prosperity due to his wealthy status. And yet, what does the Bible say in verse number one? And it came to pass after these things. After what things? After his life was in order. After everything is just the way he wants it, God comes to him and God begins to stir things up just a little bit. Isn't that the way it seems to always work? Have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that our times of blessing are usually short-lived and our times of trial and struggle seem to stretch on and on and on? I don't know if you're anything like me. Every once in a while, maybe I'll get a, I'll get, I, I will get something unexpected because I talked about how that, at that time God didn't, but God has done so much for our family over the years in which somebody does something kind for us or just something happens that we didn't see coming. And, um, you know, every once in a while, I'll, you know, call my wife and, you know, Sandra, God did this for us. And, well, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to hold on to it because something bad's going to happen. I just know it. Something bad's going to happen, right? That's usually the conversation. I think that's Murphy's Law, right? Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. And, and that's usually the case in my home. And so, and, and so but have you ever noticed that, that those times are so brief, the times of blessing and, 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 and just joy and, and, and the times of struggle and, and trial are, are really long? And that seems to be the case here in Abraham's life. I mean, he's just getting his life to a point where everything's just the way that I want it. And it comes to pass that God shows up after these things and God presents to Abraham the greatest test of of his life. And the Bible says that God came to him to tempt him. Don't get, don't get thrown with that word. God was not tempting Abraham to do evil. The word there, tempt, it means to test him. God was going to put him to the test. What God asked for had to have been astonishing to Abraham. It certainly is to all of us who read this account. God is asking Abraham to sacrifice his only son as a burnt offering. Abraham must have been horrified to hear this request from God. But theres I feel like there's a little clue in the text that might have stood out to Abraham. Because when God comes to him and God says, here's what I want you to do, God, God, God says over and over again, he, he says, I want you to sacrifice thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Now what do we know about this son? What do we know about this son? Well, there's lots of things that we perhaps know about him. We know that he was a miracle child. That he was born to his parents when his mother was 90 and his father was 100. We know that he was a child who was not just a miracle child, but that he was a promised child. We've already alluded to it this morning, but we discover that some 25 years before his birth, God came to his parents and told them that they were going to have a child and that he was going, God was going to do something for them that they had been incapable of doing for themselves. You see, for years, for decades, Abraham and Sarah had been married, but they were barren. They had no children together until God showed up. When Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65 and they probably had long, long ago buried this dream that they would ever have a son together, that they would ever have an heir, a child together. God came to them and God said, I'm going to give you a son. 
I'm going to do something for you. Listen, I'm going to provide something for you that you were unable to provide for yourself. What am I saying? I'm saying, I'm saying that this son who's the center of this story This son who God is asking Abraham to sacrifice. I'm saying there would have been no son to sacrifice except for the fact that God will provide. God provided the son. If you think of God, God had been the one responsible for providing Isaac. Again, for all their married life, they had been unable to conceive a child together. Abraham hadn't provided this son in his own strength and his own ability. God had provided miraculously so that Isaac could be born. God wasn't asking for Abraham to give something. Listen, God was not asking Abraham to give something up that he had worked so hard to provide for himself. No, God is saying, when he says, thy son, thine only son Isaac, he whom thou lovest every time that he mentions him, Abraham is reminded there would be no son to sacrifice. There would be no son to offer. There would be no son to love on if it wasn't for God providing him for us in the first place. In other words, God's not asking Abraham to give up something that he's worked so diligently for, something that he has built, something that he has created. God is saying, Abraham, I want you to give back to me the thing that I gave to you in the first place. The thing that you could never have provided for on your own. The Bible is clear. The Bible is clear throughout that everything that we have in this life that is good, God has provided it for us. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.13, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. That you got up today. That you got out of bed today and depending on what your morning schedule was like. Perhaps you made your way into a, into a kitchen or into a dining room or into a breakfast nook or whatever the case might be and maybe poured a bowl of cereal or put a piece of bread in a toaster and, or, or maybe, maybe your breakfast was much more extravagant than that. But just the simple fact that you were able to sit down and take a fork and a spoon and lift some food to your mouth and eat that food and enjoy that food is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Just the other day, my wife and I were out we were out eating together. And sitting not too far away from us was a, another couple. We watched as they received their food first. And, um, and, 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 and they got their food and immediately they, they held hands and they prayed. And I said to my wife kind of, hey, there's people like us out there still, you know. She looked and she was, oh, I love it when I see that. My wife is, this might seem surprising, but she's a lot more... Um, I don't know, than I am. When, I, when I'm in public, I just kind of want to just be to myself and, you know, that sort of thing. So at a certain point, she looked over at them and she said, hey, I, I saw you pray. That was so, uh, meant a lot to us, you know. And he looked back and he said, I thank God every time I enjoy a meal. You know, you know why? Because it's the gift of God that we can eat and that we can drink. And that we can enjoy our labors. God provided that for us. The Bible tells us in the book of James chapter 1 and verse number 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Listen, before you think that God isn't fair and what he is asking from you is, is just a little too much, just remember that anything and everything that you and I enjoy in this life that is good, listen, it comes from him and it belongs to him already. It's not ours. He's loaned it to us for a time. And if he asks for it to be returned, what is that to us? Periodically, I'll go to the library. I'll check out a book or two. 
A few weeks later, I'll get an email. The book is due back. Well, I don't call the libraries. How dare you? I'm enjoying this book right now. No, it's not my book. They provided the book. They provided the service. So I just, I can check it out. I can enjoy it for a time. But at some point, I have to return it. Can I just be honest with you? Listen, everything that we have that is good in this life is a gift that comes from God. And it just might be that he's loaned it to us for a time for us to enjoy. And it just might be that at some point he plans to reclaim it. What is that to us in this story? God provided the son. God emphasized to Abraham who Isaac was to his father. But a biblical understanding brings us to this conclusion. You enjoy this gift because I blessed you with it. There would have been no son to sacrifice unless God had gifted Abraham with one to begin with. So as we think about what did God provide in the story, number one, God provided the son. But notice number two, God provided the test. God provided the test. Warren Wearsby said this. He said, in the school of faith, we must have occasional tests or we will never know where we are spiritually. It's the purpose of tests. We don't like them. I always hated test day in school. Always hated test day. I, I, I could sense when it was coming, you know. Working through a book and we're getting closer to the end of the chapter and come to the end of the chapter, you know what's, you know what's coming, don't you? It's a test. The teacher would stand maybe a day or two before the test and they would say, okay, boys and girls, on this day we're going to have a test. I dreaded those days. It meant that I had to study the night before. If I studied the night before, sometimes I didn't. This, the stress, the anxiety, the pressure, but I get it. I understood it. I understood that the test helped the teacher to understand whether we were grasping what was being taught. Whether we were, whether we were getting what was, what was being given. The same, listen, the same thing is true spiritually. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe, maybe as we come to, a, to an end of a chapter in our lives, we can almost sense, okay, test time is coming. I, almost sense, I can almost sense that God is going to announce to me Hey, there's going to be a test here, end of this week, next month. He's preparing us for it. Maybe he's developing a, a study sheet. I always appreciated when teachers gave the study sheets. So I sort of got an idea of what they were going to ask. That, that was helpful rather than me just kind of having to go through the book and trying to figure it out for myself. Perhaps maybe God begins to develop a study sheet. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to be prepared for. The test authored by God would be the hardest test Abraham would ever take. This test would reveal how much Abraham feared God, according to verse number 12. Did Abraham fear himself more than God? Did Abraham fear his wife more than God? Did Abraham fear the feelings, the thoughts, and the opinions of others more than God? This test's results would give us the answer once and for all. We, we would know exact, God would know exactly where Abraham's allegiance was, who Abraham cared most for, who Abraham was most passionate to please. Is he most passionate to please self? Is he most passionate to please his wife? Or is he most passionate to please God? Now let's think, let's think back over our time of the study of the book of or the life of Abraham, and we discover that other tests Abraham had failed. And by the way, sometimes, sometimes failed tests prepare us to pass and succeed at some point. There would, there would be times in my school education in which the teacher would hand a test back that I had taken, and there was a whole lot more red on that paper than there was anything else. 
But you know, sometimes my teachers, they would, they would write the correct answer in, or sometimes they would make me write the correct answer. And here's what they would say. They would say this, hold on to that test. You're going to need it for the exam at the end of the quarter. And so I would. I'd tuck it into a folder somewhere. And I can remember times, listen, I can remember times studying from the failed test and that studying from the failed test helping me to pass and succeed in the coming exam that was on the horizon. And Abraham had failed some tests miserably. There had been things placed in front of him that he, he should have known. Don't choose that. Don't answer it that way. And yet Abraham had failed. And now, now God was pre- presenting him with the greatest test of his life. And when we come to verse number 12, God says, Now I know that you fear me more than you feared everyone else because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I say that God... God is the author of life, and he's the judge of the whole earth. And so in a sense, when we're thinking about this idea of test and test-taking, here's what God is. He's the teacher, and he's the principal all in one. When he declares it is test time, he is authorized to write the test, to grade the test, and to sit in judgment over how we fared on the test. We might complain about it. We might wish it wasn't so, but listen, there's one thing we can't do, and that one thing we can't do is not take the test. Can I tell you that in, in test taking, as it relates to the spiritual journey, it, it's, not, it's not, well, you did pretty good, you did okay. No, it's, it's pass or fail. It's pass or fail. Abraham had two options. God came to him and said, I want you to do this. Abraham's two options were to do it or to not do it. To pass or to fail. That's all there was. And in many respects, listen, the tests that you and I take are very similar. Say, how do I pass the test? You pass the test by simply being obedient. Simply doing what you know God would have you say, but it's hard. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. I don't know how it's all going to work out. All of those things, all of those things are part of living a life of faith. We follow God. We do the right thing. We, we put the right answer down. We, 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 in, in reason, we live the right answer out and we let God take care of the rest. That's exactly what we discover Abraham doing in, in this text. Notice thirdly, we see not only God provided the son, God provided the test, but number three, God provided the place. God provided the place. Would you look in verse number two? Look at the end. He said, would you take your son, And would you offer him for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, notice the last phrase, which I will tell thee of. Look at verse number three, look at the end. And he rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw, there it is again, the place afar off. Would you look in verse number nine? And they came to the place. The place. In his communication with Abraham, God had made clear that not only did he want Abraham to offer up his son, but that he was to offer up his son in a specific place. Can I just remind you that God never does anything by accident? A lot of times, a lot of times you and I just sort of you know, accident our way into things. Well, I didn't know this was going to happen the way that it did, but it sort of all worked out for me. And I think certainly God's at work in those things as well. But I want you to know something. God, God never just randomly just chooses, eh, just this, that, or the other. No, no. God's, God is always at work in an intentional way. 
There's no, there's no accidents with God. And so when God, when God said to Abraham, I want you to offer your son on one of the mountains that I will tell thee of, the mountain is called Moriah, the, the place, and Abraham kept zeroing in on, that's the place, that's the place. God said, this is the place, this is where I want you to be. There was, there was a reason why God was leading him to that place. Little did Abraham know, little did Abraham know that on the same, the very same mountain that he was being asked to offer his son, that God himself would someday offer his only son as a sacrifice as well. In order, listen, in order to complete this picture of, of, of Isaac being the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and Abraham being the picture of the Father, in order to complete the picture, God demanded that Abraham take a lengthy journey. The Bible tells us it was a three-day journey, according to verse number four, and that he offer this sacrifice in a very specific place. God provided the place. Notice, notice fourthly, God provided the faith. God provided the son. He provided the test. He provided the place. I, I, want, I don't want you to just do this anywhere. You have to do it here. And then number four, notice that God provided the faith. Abraham gives two of the greatest statements of faith in all of the Bible in our text. And I, and I want you to see them. Would you look with me at, in verse number five? Abraham had taken four, four people, there were four people involved in this journey, including one donkey. The two servants, Abraham and his son Isaac. As far as we know, that's all who went on this journey. And when they got, when they got to a point where they could see the place afar off, Abraham, Abraham, said to his, Abraham said to his servants, he said, I want you to stay here. Notice what he says in verse number five. He said, I want you to abide here, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And notice, notice what he says at the end. And, and come again to you. I don't know if you ever noticed that before, but that's a statement of faith. Because Abraham knows what he's going to that mountain to do. He's, he, he knows that God has commissioned him, God has commanded him to take a knife and to plunge that knife into his son and as horrible as it sounds, to burn his flesh on this. That's what God is asking him to do. And yet Abraham looks at his servants and he says, you stay here for a little bit. We're going to go yonder. We're going up that mountain. We're going to worship God together. And, and you stay here until we come back to you. You know, you know what Abraham is he's implying? Abraham's saying, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I have to believe that God is bringing us both back. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know what this is going to look like, but I just have to believe it. There's a second great statement of faith. Would you look at, look at it with me in verse number eight? Now they're on their way up the, uh, up, the, uh, up the mountain. And Isaac spake, verse number seven, unto Abraham his father and said, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb? That's a good question. Smart young man here. He's looking around. He says, something doesn't, something doesn't add up. Something's not right here. Something's not right. He says, we, we've got the wood. We've got the fire. Maybe Abraham's carrying a torch or something like that, or perhaps maybe he just has some instruments with him that in those days and age would have, would have helped them to create the fire, to build the fire. But, but he, says, he said, Dad, we're missing one thing. We're missing the lamb. Where's the animal? I mean, that's, that's the whole purpose of a sacrifice. There's got to be an animal involved. Where's the lamb? And look, look at Abraham's faith, verse number eight. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. 
for a burnt offering. Oh, two great phrases. You see Abraham as all of this is happening. I have to think he must have winced as his son was asking this question. All the pain that that must have brought into his heart and his life. You're the, you're the lamb, son. You're the one that's going to die. I mean, that's, that, that had to be what was going through his mind because that's what God had asked him to do. But Abraham says, not yet. I can't tell him yet. Maybe, just maybe, Abraham in his mind thought, I, I don't know what God's going to do up here, but I just know God's going to do something. God will provide himself a lamb. Let me ask this question. Where did Abraham get this kind of faith? I would say that God had woven, had woven this kind of faith into his life through the years. Every act of obedience to God had built faith into him. And I would even say that even the times in which Abraham had disobeyed God, those times had built faith into him as he saw that no matter what, God himself was faithful and God could be trusted. Now here's here's what I believe. I personally believe I personally believe that Abraham's faith was such that he was trusting in God. Lord, Lord, you gave this son to me, and you're asking me to do this, and I'm willing to do it, but I believe Abraham believed that if I plunge this knife into my son and I kill my son, that God will raise him from the dead. I believe that with all of my heart. I don't, I don't, see, how a, I don't see how a man could do what he did in this text, and he was prepared to do it, without believing, God, you're going to redeem this. God, you're going to raise this boy back up. This isn't the end. No parent in their right mind would do such a thing unless they believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was going to do something unusual. Where does that kind of faith come from? That kind of faith comes from knowing God, from obeying God, from walking with God and seeing God's mighty hand at work over and over again. See, see God, some of you, God's asking you to do something really, really small right now. And that's part of the journey of faith. We just graduated a kindergarten class. They stood up here, and they, and they, and they said they're ABCs. We heard them say them. They said they're ABCs. That's, that's what they need to learn in kindergarten. They're, they're, they're being asked to, you know, just color within the lines for crying out loud. Right? Just sit still. Just don't shout when, when you're not supposed to be shouting. Right? The little, little things in their journey, Right? You know, we're blending words together. We're, we're using our phonics. We're recognizing letters and, and, and we're counting on our fingers, right? Some of you, some of you spiritually, that's where you are and that's okay. It's okay. There's no, there's nothing wrong with that unless, unless you've been saved for a long time and you've just refused to go to the next grade. But, but, but for some of you, some of you, you're just kind of, you're just kind of getting your feet wet in the spiritual journey as it were. You're just, you're just sort of, just sort of meandering. This, this is all new. And God is, God is just, just teaching you how to count. He's just teaching you the ABCs of the Christian life. And that's fine. That's fine. Some of you are a whole lot further, further down the road than that, aren't you? And as a result, listen, as a result, your faith, your faith is much stronger, it's much deeper. The things that God is asking you to do are a whole lot different than the things that God is asking maybe your brother or sister is sitting across the aisle from you to do. And here's, here's what I say. How do, how, do I get, how do I get from kindergarten, first grade, second grade? How do I get to you know, graduate level? How do I get to master's level? How do I get to PhD level of the Christian life? It's, it's by passing the tests that you're being given today. Some of you, God, God's, God's, trying to teach you, God's trying to teach you just to be faithful to church. Just come when the doors are open. 
Some of you, that hasn't been a thought for 30 years. You're just always here. Some of you are, are, are dealing with something much, much deeper than that. How, how, do, I, how do I get to that point? I, I get to that point by being faithful and doing what God's asked me to do right now. If I'll, if I'll do what God has asked me to do right now, someday, someday God's gonna, God, it, it may not be Genesis 22, it may, it may not quite be that, but it's going to be something. And how will I know that I'm gonna be able to pass that test? How will I know I'll have the faith for that? I'll have the faith for that because I've had the faith all along. God's provided me with a test needed to give me the faith. In other words, in other words, no man, no man could have believed this apart from God showing himself to Abraham, hey, listen, I'm faithful. So God provided the faith. Lastly and finally, number five, this morning we discover God provided the lamb. God provided the lamb with his knife held high over his son's body. The moment had come for Abraham to offer up his only son as a sacrifice. We don't know what Isaac's thoughts were during this moment, but we would imagine that he was full of fear. Can you imagine that? I don't know how old Abraham was. Most Bible scholars believe he was probably 15, 14, 15 years old. We don't see any resistance out of him. Doesn't mean that he didn't resist. Doesn't mean that he wasn't crying out to his dad, Dad, what are you doing? What in the world? You said God was going to provide a lamb. You didn't say that I'm the lamb. Dad, what, what, what's happening? What's in your mind? And Abraham is fully focused and fixed on obeying God and doing What God has asked him to do, it must have been the hardest thing that Abraham had ever done. But again, we see, just as we don't see any resistance in Isaac, we don't see any resistance in Abraham either. If this was what God wanted, then this is what God would get. Can I just say, can I just say living, living the life that is pleasing to God is living a life that says, Lord, if that's what you want, then that's what you're going to get. That's where we all, that's where we all need to get. Lord, if you want it, then you can have it. As hard as it may seem, as difficult as it may be, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. With all of these things in motion, a voice of an angel broke through the tension and shouted Abraham's name. The voice instructed him not to take his son's life. Abraham had passed the test. See, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, the test wasn't designed to claim the life of Isaac. The test was designed to see whether Abraham would be willing to go that far. That's what it was all about. And Abraham had passed the test. God now knew that Abraham's fear, his respect, his reverence, his love of God surpassed all other things. And can I just say this had not always been the case. In Egypt and, in, and later in a place called Gerar, Abraham had feared man and he had feared culture more than he feared God. While waiting for the promised son to be born, Abraham considered Sarah's womb and respected her advice more than God's promise. And that led to a son who was born that should have never been born in the first place. Listening to his wife, he stepped outside of God's plan and God's will, and he took another wife into his home and into his life. This test, this test, however, Abraham passed, revealing that he had finally arrived at a place where his fear of God was perfect or it was complete. When God finished speaking, Abraham lifted his eyes. Maybe he heard a little noise behind him. The Bible says behind him, caught in the thicket, was a ram that had been caught by its horns. Abraham must have quickly unbound his son and removed him from the altar before taking that ram and slitting its throat and laying him on the altar instead. Can I say this was the first time God would provide a lamb on this mountain so that man could live, but it wouldn't be the last time. 
Approximately 1,800 years after this event, Jesus would be born in a little village not far from this very mountain. Just as Isaac was Abraham's only beloved son, so Jesus was God's only beloved son. He would live a sinless life before being crucified on the very same mountain where God had instructed Abraham to take Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice. I, I, I don't think I could prove this, but I'm just going to give you my personal belief. I believe it's in the exact same spot. I believe God, God orchestrated as only God could. In the very same spot where Abraham had built that altar and, and had laid his boy there and, and took that knife and, and, was, and was stayed, was stopped from plunging that knife into his son's body, I believe it's in that very same spot that God took and built an altar as well. An altar of wood in the form of a cross. And God laid his son, bound him up on that altar just as Abraham had bound Isaac up. But in this case, there was no one to stop him. There was no one to shout, God, don't do it. Don't, don't plunge the knife into the body of your son. No one to stop him. There was no, listen, there was no other lamb that could be provided that could possibly measure up to the lamb that hung on that cross some 2,000 years ago. And on the, very, on the very mountain, perhaps in the very same place where Abraham quickly removed Isaac from that altar and took that lamb that God had provided, some 1,800 years later, God provided another lamb, a lamb that would wash away, listen, would wash away the sins of all of mankind. Every one of you in here today that has been saved, you've been born again. Listen, you have new life because Jesus Christ was willing to go to that altar. Because God the Father was willing to offer a lamb for you on your behalf in that place. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. By his death, we can have forgiveness of sins. We can have peace with God. We can have freedom and eternal life. Truly, God did provide a lamb for Abraham in Genesis 22. God has provided a substitute lamb for you and I, according to the gospel accounts in the New Testament. His name is Jesus. And God continues to provide for his people's needs today. When we hear God will provide, we are encouraged to think about how God might provide for our physical and financial needs. And while that isn't out of the realm of possibility, I, I, I just believe the focus of God's provision is much deeper and fuller than these things. So as we conclude today, let me give you just three statements, three discoveries that I've learned from our text related to God providing for his people. Number one, God will provide tests to discern the strength of our faith. Think about what is it that God has provided. God, it's pretty evident from this text that God will provide tests to discern, to determine the strength of our faith. It's an unmistakable truth gleaned here and in other places. Job experienced it. Other great men of the Bible experienced it. We rejoice to know that God will provide, don't we? Oh, that sounds so good. God will provide. But wait a minute. What if, what if God providing for you is God providing another test for you to enter into? Well, that's not nearly as pleasant, is it? We think about God providing, we think about God providing a bigger home or a nicer car or a better job or 
you know, a beautiful wife or healthy children. But what if, what if God's provisions for you are, hey, I want you to take your son, your only son. I want you to give him back to me. What if, what if God's provisions for you are God providing you a test? You going to resist that? You say, God, I, I'm good with the blessings, but I don't want the tests. You can give the test to yourself. Just give me all the good things. It doesn't work that way. God will provide, yes. He'll provide tests to discern the strength of our faith. Number, three, number two, God will provide, as we've seen in Abraham's life, God will provide not only the test, but God will also provide what is needed to face the test and to pass the test. See, the test was provided by God, but as we've already learned, God also provided the son, God provided the place, God provided the faith, and God even provided the land. In other words, God, God gave Abraham everything that he would need to pass the test. You know what? God has given us everything that we would need as well. Going back to my school days, I failed a lot of tests. <laughs> I probably shouldn't tell you that, but it's true. I failed a lot of tests. And do you know that every time I failed a test, it wasn't, it wasn't because the teacher had done a poor job of teaching it wasn't because I didn't have the notes. It wasn't because I hadn't gotten the instruction. It wasn't because I didn't have the brain. Well, that, that might have been at a time or two. But. No, no, in every instance, in every instance, I had everything that I needed to be successful. So then why did I fail? I failed because I didn't use the things that God had given to me. I didn't take advantage of qualified teachers. I didn't take advantage of a book. I didn't take advantage of the notes and the lectures. And I didn't take advantage of a, of a healthy mind and brain. Instead, I wanted to be lazy. Instead, I wanted to do my own thing. And every time I failed, almost without fail, every time that I did not succeed, more often than not, it was my own fault. Can I tell you that when it comes to passing the test that God gives, more often than not, if you don't succeed, it's not because God hasn't given you what you need. Every one of us more, often, more likely than not, have a copy of this book. We can read it. That's the, that's the study guide. That, that's, that's, that's what's necessary. No, no, listen, if, if you don't pass, more often than not, it's just simply because you wouldn't be faithful. Number three, and finally, not only did God provide tests to discern the strength of our faith, God will provide what's needed to face a test. Can I say number three, maybe even most importantly, God will provide for man's most significant need. Some of you, you came in this room thinking, my rent, my rent is due. That's my most significant need. Some of you came into this room this morning and said, my marriage is a mess. That's my most significant need. Some of you, you have a doctor's appointment this week, and you're going to get some results, and you're saying, that's my most significant need. I'm not here to belittle or minimize any of those things, but I want you to know something. That's not your most significant need. Every man's most significant need is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Is, is to know, is to know that they have eternal life. And that can be yours today. So how did God provide that for us? Well, on that same mountain, the sinless Son of God, He suffered, He bled, and He died. He hung in your place. He did, he did what, what, what Isaac wouldn't have to do. He gave His life. The Bible's clear that if we'll simply believe on His name, then we can have eternal life. We can have forgiveness of sins. We can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment.